The rest of you can turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 10. Revelation chapter 10. This morning, we're continuing to look at reasons why we can endure in the face of the future and the, the, the threat of the future, the hope of the future. Um, and as we get started this morning, I just... Uh, I want to thank those of you who uh, you know sent me birthday greetings and stuff like that. Uh, turning fifty is uh, uh, for me. It was like like okay, no big deal. Like forty was a lot more like okay, I got hurt on my fortieth birthday, all these kind of things. Uh, so I was like okay, no big deal. I, I'm enjoying it. Um, but I did have uh, a couple of things happen yesterday that kind of reminded me of my mortality. Right? Um, I was uh, doing laundry, and we have we have a kind of a split level stairs, and I was grabbing the laundry basket from the, 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 in the middle of the stairway to go take it down to the, to the, to the laundry room. And, uh, and I, as I was twist, turning to take it down, I, I, uh, my, my ankle rolled off the stairs and I fell down the stairs. You know what I mean? And of course, at 50, it takes a lot longer to get up than when you're 25. Just, that's just the way it goes. Um, and then yesterday after that, I was we were helping pick up trash uh, during the Iowa State game. It was, it was dark, and John Smith was driving the the uh, um, the, the tractor and trailer that we're using to go pick up trash. And uh, I thought, oh, I, I'll just jump off while he's moving. <laughs> I don't know why I thought I should do that, but uh, I I did, and uh, fortunately I was okay, except for the fact that I caught uh, I caught my leg a little bit on the, there's this, this post that was standing out with, the, with the, the, the light on the back of the trailer, and it just like, gave me a nice good uh, slash in my leg, so I am feeling my mortality. And I ran across, um, I read, David Roseberry wrote, wrote an article uh, recently, he says, I went to, to see a doctor for, for a pain in my shoulder. My shoulder was just hurting all of the time whenever I moved it. The doctor examined me, and he diagnosed the problem as frozen shoulder it comes just from just being my age, he says, and from use. The doctor said, there's a couple of things we need to do. The first is physical therapy. Here, will me a prescription for that. And I can give you a steroid, a cortisone shot, that will just right in the joint of the shoulder will help the joint work better. He said, David said, go for it. So as the doctor getting ready to do the injection, he says to David, he says, what do you do for a living? He said, I'm a minister. I preach for a living. Do you have a church? The doctor said, I gave that up a long time, time ago. Now listen, just relax a little bit here, and we'll get that joint all loosened up so you can continue to point your finger at people. And I'm not, yeah, and I'm not here to point our, our, my finger at you this morning. I'm here to invite you into to, to considering God's way of living. We're going to look at Revelation chapter 10. It's a short chapter, and it's all about John going to, in a sense, inviting us in by helping us to see a couple of visions, to see how we think about time overall. How do we think about time and how God thinks about time are two different things. He invites us into thinking about how we need to live in light of how, who God is. And, of course, time for us is a big, a big deal, right? We, we get caught up in our inbox. We get caught up in our list of things we need to get done. We, we practice time management competence, right? Like we have lists and we work through lists. We do all of that. Tony Crabb argues in Quartz that tech-fueled time management is only making our lives worse, however. 
Crabb says, time management, we believe, is the solution to our business. If we could organize our time better, we'd be less overwhelmed, happier, and more effective. He says, we are completely wrong on all three counts, and it's damaging our lives and careers. Crabb says, it's time to develop a different strategy, one that starts from a recognition that in our overloaded world, the greatest shortage is not time, but attention. Put it another way, time is no longer money. Attention is. And of course, the world knows that because they try to get your attention in so many different ways, correct? YouTube, etc. And and as we think about our attention, also you have to consider how do we inhabit time ourselves? And neurobiologists overall argue that we inhabit time through our memory. That is, we remember things, and therefore, we, 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 it helps us to, in, to put our, our sense of time together. That's why most of us don't remember when we were born, right? We don't remember the first couple of years of life. Why? Because we don't have enough memories to put everything together well. And so, between attention and memory, we have this call from God in Revelation chapter 10 to focus on the correct things and to remember how God works in his world. And so let's look at Revelation chapter 10. Notice the the passage together and then think about some applications that result from it. So Revelation chapter 10 and verse 1 says, Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head, and his face was like the sun and his legs like pillars of fire. He had a little scroll open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And he called out with a loud voice, like a lion roaring. When he called out, the seven thunders sounded. And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write. But I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up what the seven thunders have said, and do not write it down. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven. And swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and earth and what is heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay. That, but that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. So we have here this, this vision of this angel descending, and it, it seems very much like Jesus, right? He says, coming down out of heaven, wrapped in a cloud with rainbow over his head, which symbolizes God's throne, right from Revelation chapter 4. His face was like the sun, his legs like pillars of fire. Again, this looks like Jesus. He had a, a little scroll in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and on the land. Now, the, the difference here is you get a little scroll rather than the scroll. And you also have this idea of that he called it with a voice like a lion roaring. The problem is, is that Jesus is never described as an angel in Revelation at all. Uh, so that's just one kind of one part of the passage here. It's like, okay, we have this angelic figure that looks a lot and acts a lot like Jesus, in a sense. He calls out, and the seven thunders sounded. What are the seven thunders here? And you, and you have two, basically, from the text, you have two kind of logical things. One is, is that it's uh, the Holy Spirit. It's the seven, the seven, kind of as represented by seven thunders, the seven spirits. It's like the, the Holy Spirit is speaking here, and that's, that 
that message is sealed. The other option is that, that this is, just as we have seven seals and seven trumpets and ultimately seven bulls, that there's seven thunders that happen as well. And that's a possibility logically as well. And that he just don't, doesn't write down what, what, this, what happens during the seven thunders. Um, the, your, you say, well, what, which is it? Or what are your options? Well, the problem is, is that it's sealed, right? We don't know. <laughs> we don't know exactly what it is here. It's sealed, and so uh, we don't, we're not, it's not revealed to us what this is. And you say, well, why isn't it revealed? Well, I think it's also part of what's going on here in the passage. We'll get to that in just a minute. But then you see this angel, again, he's standing on the sea and on the land, and he raises his right hand to heaven and swears um, that there would be no more delay. Again, what is he talking about there? But then you get this last verse. That in the days of the trumpet of the call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled, just as he announced to his servants the prophets. And here we have a reference back to prophecy. And specifically in this passage, to Daniel. Daniel is, uh, as we'll see in a minute here, Daniel is, is referenced several times in, in Revelation. And then the first part of, of Revelation is often obliquely, as in Revelation chapter 1, in the first few verses, it talks about the things that must soon take place, which is the same thing that happens with Daniel as well. And there are other passages. We get further into the book, you'll see that Daniel is referenced more and more. And here in Daniel chapter 12, you have this scene, and I've just got part of it here for the sake of time, but this scene is of an angel who, if you read back, it's, it's kind of Daniel 10 through 12 is kind of a, a, a full, it's like three, three chapters that go together. And in Daniel chapter 10, it references this angel who, you're suspicious is Christ, but you're not sure. Okay? And this angel comes and stands above a stream on, on the land, and on the, on, again, over the land and the water, just as in Revelation chapter 10. And Notice what it says here. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on the bank of the stream and one on, the, on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen, and so you have three angels, basically, one over the stream and then two on each side of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen, that's the man who's, who was above the waters of the stream, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. I heard, but I did not understand. Join the club, right? Then I said, oh my Lord, what shall, be, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are, are, are wise shall understand. And so you have this, again, these very seven common elements here several common elements to this, these two passages. One, you have this angel who looks like Jesus, but is most likely not. But then the, 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 the angel swears with a raised hand, or in the case of Daniel, two raised hands. You have the fact that, the, that part of the revelation is sealed. It's, it's, not, it's not given to, to be explained. It's just sealed up. So Daniel knows some things that he can't talk about, just as John knows some things that he can't talk about. 
And you also have this standing over the water and the land in both of them. And so you have this, this idea that, that, that it's echoing Daniel and it's saying something about no more delay. What, what is he talking about? If he's referencing Daniel and he's saying no more delay, what is he referencing? Well, that takes us back to Daniel's past vision in, in, in Daniel 9. And, and Daniel's, uh, in Daniel 9, Daniel is praying because he's studying the prophets. And in Jeremiah, it talks about 70 years that happen between when Israel is, is exiled from the land and when they'll be allowed to return. And he's praying to God and he's saying, God, forgive the sin of your people and, and restore us back to the land. Help me to know how this is all supposed to go because it seems like you're going to have 70 years between the exile and the return. And God responds to that. And in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, he gives us a, a picture of that. But before we get into that, the whole book of Daniel is dominated by this vision of a giant that Nebuchadnezzar has. Okay? And Nebuchadnezzar has this vision of an image, and ultimately he makes the image, right? Or he makes a version of the image, which is all gold, not partially gold like this one. And, uh, and has the, you know, everyone bow down to, right? And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego don't bow down. You, you remember that story, right? Well, the image in, in, in Nebuchadnezzar's dream is as a head of gold, which Daniel interprets as the empire of, of, of Babylon at the time. And, and they're, in a sense, the world-dominating empire at the time. And then you had a silver, a chest at arms that were uh, uh, explained to be Persia. At the, that came and, and kicked and destroyed Babylon, and you also remember that from the book of Daniel as well. And then after Persia, it's explained that, that Greece is going to come in, Macedonia, Macedonia the, 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 the ultimately Alexander the Great, is going to come in and, and, and dominate the, uh, the, the, the world during that time, and then it's going to split ultimately into, down here, when you get down to, here it's going to be the, the Roman Empire, the legs, which is kind of split into two, and then split into ten, the feet and the clay. And so, uh, and so you have this, this vision that Nebuchadnezzar has that then at the end there's a rock that comes and destroys the entire thing and ultimately sets up the, the kingdom of God on earth. And so you have this vision of these, of these empires. And what I want to point out through Daniel is that Yes, it's, uh, it's figurative language at time. It, talks, it explains the, the empires as beasts later on in Daniel. But it's also literal. It's talking about literal empires that arise, dominate the world scene, and then are destroyed. And you get that all the way through. Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Roman Empire, and then, and then, uh, and then it's the last little bit with the feet and the toes as a kind of a, a Roman Empire that's split up. It's, it's, it's shattered, but it's still together. And, and you have this picture of, of that. And, and in the midst of that, Daniel 9 gives us a, a picture here of the timeline that, as it relates to God's working in the world. And he says this, Daniel chapter 9, 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your, and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity. To bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, to anoint a most holy place. So he's saying, 
70 weeks are decreed to do six things, right? To finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, all right? It all has to do with sin and taking care of sin. And then the last three, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. So to, to allow righteousness to prevail on the earth, to, to complete the prophetic visions that have been given to, to Israel, and to anoint a most holy place, the last three. So you have six things that are going to happen over 70 weeks, okay? And again, remember Daniel was praying about 70 years, and literally in Daniel, it's not 70, 70 weeks the way we use weeks, it's 77s, okay? So it's just these, the idea of sevens that happen. But, but in the context of 70 years, Daniel would understand the 77s as years, and that's literally what happens here. He says, Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks, so, or 40, seven sevens, or 49 years. Then for 62 weeks, it shall be built up again with squares and a mope, but in a troubled time. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of, of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. It shall, its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be a war. Desolations are decreed. And so after the 62 weeks, you have this, the, the anointed one being cut off. You have um, the, this Jerusalem being destroyed and, and, and then desolations decreed overall. And it says, and he shall make, that is the prince who is to come, shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And many usually is, is usual reference to the, the nations of the world for one week. And for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. So there's a lot of details there, but let's just think about, since we're considering the time of the issue, what's going on here. So Daniel 9, you have seven weeks or, or 49, sorry, 49, it's going to be weeks, it's going to be years there, 49 years. And that was when uh, Jerusalem, the decree to, to restore Jerusalem is sent out. Now there's two options for one that happened in history. One is 457 B.C. It's when, and, uh, and the other one is, there were actually, uh, or 444, 445 B.C., okay? And, and then you had seven weeks for that, 62 weeks for it to be restored built up and restored or 434 years so if it's if it's the 457 th that number of years there it's 434 plus 449 is uh is what 50 let me see if i'm good at math right uh 80 483 right 483 years um if you do 483 years from 457 bc you get 27 a.d which is about when jesus started his public ministry remember. If you go with the 444 BC, um, which is, uh, uh, that, that amounts to, uh, uh, it, it, then it's a, little, it's a little trickier with that one, but what's interesting is it's 483 years of 360 days, okay, which is uh, the Jewish calendar is 360 days, and then, but we normally operate under a 364 and a quarter days, right, which adds up to Three, uh, 476 years. So if you do that math, if you go from 444 or 445, you end up with 8031, 8032. And that's right about the time when Jesus died, right? 
And so you have this timeline that's there, but then there's, uh, the, the, you have after the 62 weeks, the Messiah is cut off, Jerusalem's destroyed, which happens in that 32 to 70 AD period. But there's a gap because it says after this, and then the last, the final week starts when the prince who is to come signs a covenant with many. So you have this gap. So it, when you think about that in terms of world history, right, you have the Roman Empire also, you know, by the time this is, the Messiah is cut off, the Roman Empire is fully there. Daniel's vision of the iron legs is happening. But there's this gap, and there's one week. And so when, he, when we get back to Revelation chapter 10, and, and the angel says, I swear there's going to be no more delay, he's not just saying, um, um, God's been delaying his judgment for so long, but he's not, he's finally going to do it. He's talking, of, and he, since it's a reference to Daniel chapter 12 in the entire thing, he's saying that this gap that, that's there in, in, in how God is working in, in history, at least in Daniel's vision of history, is going to end. There's going to be no more delay. That this, this, uh, this, this last time in history where things are going to need to take place in order to seal up everlasting righteousness and vision and prophet and anoint in the most holy place is going to happen. And so, so you have this, uh, this vision here that's it's basically saying, look, John is saying, look, I'm getting this vision because God has promised throughout history to do certain things by, by, by prophecy. These are things that God has promised are going to happen in history. And we can look and say, okay, well, where is, where is the, the promise of his coming, right? Where is what God is doing? And, and he's saying that there's going to come in time when he's like, okay, I'm, I've, I've delayed, I've let things happen a certain way for, for my own reasons and for my own purposes, but now... Finally, I'm going to step back in and, and fulfill the, the, the prophecies that have been given to Daniel and the other prophets. Um, and so, uh, just go to back here uh, to Revelation. I go all the way back to Revelation chapter 10. It says, But in the days of the trumpet call that will be sounded by the seven angels, the mystery of God will be fulfilled just as he announced to his servants, the prophets. And so the, the point for us overall is not to get all the, the timeline right. The point is to remember that God is going to fulfill his word. God is going to fulfill what he promised to do. That he's, he, he has this plan in place that he's going to fulfill it. He's going to accomplish it. He's not going to just let it go. And in time, as we think about time in our own lives, right, we, uh, we often think of time in terms of projects, right? Like the project of parenting, some say only lasts 18 years. Those who, who have adult children realize, no, that doesn't, the project of parenting never ends, right? You just keep working on the project. You know, we say, well, I've got a project of a garden. Well, yeah, your project of the garden is pretty much done for the year, just saying, right? Like, uh, you know, you'll pick it back up in May, um, then and you and maybe you do preparatory projects in March, but you know you have a project that lasts a certain amount of time, and then you're done. But sometimes we right, we start a project and then we like oh I forgot about that project right like I I, I didn't I, I was working on other things and I and then, oh yeah I've got to pick up this project, and what what God is saying here is he's like I know I started a project and it may look like I've forgotten about the project, but I haven't. I know I have, a, I have a plan, I'm working that plan, and I'm, I'm going to complete the project that I started with Daniel and Ezekiel and Jeremiah. And, and you, should, you should realize that that, that that plan is going to happen, it's going to work, it's going to be, it's going to be completed. You can trust that. 
God is not like us. He does not forget things. He doesn't not finish things. He finishes what he started. And that's a great comfort to us, hopefully, as well. You get that same message here as we get into Revelation. We've got to skip through all that again. Go back forward. To Revelation chapter 10, verse 8, as we finish out the chapter. It says, Then the voice that I heard from the heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go, take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him to give me this little scroll. And he said to me, Take it and eat it. It will make your mouth bitter, but in your mouth, it will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. And I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. And I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. And he's going to do that in the next few chapters, right? Especially the next chapter, I think is a reference to the little scroll. But what you have here is, uh, again, an echo of Ezekiel. Ezekiel is also given a little scroll in chapter, uh, in chapter 3, verse 1. He says, son of, said to me, Son of man, eat whatever you find here. Eat this scroll. Go and speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he gave me this scroll to eat. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly with this scroll that I give you, and fill your stomach with it. Then I ate it, and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. Now, obviously, it's, again, it's not a literal scroll in the sense of if he's eating paper or he's eating leather, um, neither one of those tastes good, right? So, but the point is, is that he's taking this and he's eating it and it is sweet to him. And so we're talking about figurative language here about something that's important to understand. And he said to me, son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with my, with my words to them. For you are not sent to a people of a foreign speech and a hard language, but to the house of Israel, and not to many peoples of foreign speech and a hard language whose words you cannot understand. Surely if I sent you to such, they would listen to you. But the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you, for they are not willing to listen to me, because all the house of Israel have a hard forehead and a stubborn heart. So here, Ezekiel is, is told, is commissioned to go to the house of Israel, who is in exile, and, and, and give, them God's, give them God's words. And he's saying, I just want you to Israel... And I want you to realize they're not going to listen, this, which is often a th- thing that the, the prophets are given. Now, compare that here a bit to Revelation chapter 10. Again, he's given a little scroll. It's told it's sweet to his mouth. And this time he's told not just go to Israel. He's told, You're, I'm going to give you a message for the nations, not just Israel. But it's going to make his stomach bitter as well. And later on in Ezekiel chapter 3, it says that the Spirit takes him back to, to his, where he was at in Israel. In, is, in, in exile with the Israelites, and it says that he was bitter of heart. Why? Because he realized, I'm going to be given this message, and the people aren't going to listen, okay? And so it's echoing here this same thing, where God is telling John, John, I'm giving you this. It's sweet to realize that, that I have a plan, that, that I have a message for the nations, and it's sweet to have that message. But it's also bitter because you're going to realize that most people aren't, are not going to listen. They're not going to repent. And that's been the, the, this theme all the way through this trumpets period, is that God is sending out this message and the people aren't repenting. So what can we take away from 
from these passages. And I, I ran across this kind of illustration I think it's helpful to think about in relation to time. Because again, both of these are dealing with time and how we react to the messages of God's word in time, both for ourselves and as, as with the, the people around us. And it talks about, in neurobiology, again, it talks about how we inhabit time through memory. And, and, and we do that in a variety of ways because you get at a point where you have to, you're like, well, I see something and I, and I and with memory, sometimes you, I say, I see something and I'm like, oh, it reminds me of something else. And so I think about the memory of something. But his point is, in, in the mind, the brain has, has ways of bypassing that processing thing. And it's a good thing, actually, right? Because if you're, if you're stepping out into a street and you hear a, thorn, a horn, right, blowing, you don't think, oh, I've heard a horn before. Where did I hear a horn before? And what did it mean when I heard a horn before? You don't, you don't do any of that processing, right? You just go, oop. <laughs> you know, your body remembers that if you hear a horn, you need to back up. You need to pay attention, right? And our, our body has the ability to remember things kind of all intrinsically, and we remember those things in such a way that we just react. We just respond to, to life. Again, a baby hears a horn. It doesn't know what it means. It doesn't know how to react. But, but we, as we grow, we, we connect memories to things, and we start to process our world through what we can remember. The, the, as you get older, you have more and more experiences that cause you to react, okay? You have shame, memories of shameful situations where maybe somebody came down hard on you. They, they were pointing their finger in your face, and you're like, ooh, I don't like that, you know? Or maybe you got, you got into sports and you failed at sports, and you, and you were trying, you're trying something new, you're trying something hard, and you failed, and then you get into more new or hard things, and what does your brain, your body do? It remembers, and it's like, and we go through life, frankly, a lot of times kind of an illustration of on a train track, you know, going through time, and we're just responding to all the threats that are one of the part of our brain that's there that's designed to help us to stay safe. Just reacting to those threats, reacting to the threat of shame, the threat of fear, the threat of regret, and, we rem- and our memories just come at us over and over again. Oh, I don't want to be a bad mom. Oh, I don't want to be a bad daughter. Oh, I don't want to be a bad coworker. And we're just going through time, just like on a train track, click, 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 and we're just reacting, 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 reacting. Partially, again, God-given. It's not, it's not wrong. It's not sin, but it's not complete. And there's another track to memory, and that is the track where we go and we pull those memories out and we pull them and we examine them. We're curious about them. Oh, I remember this and I remember that. And wasn't this cool? And I wonder what's going on with that. And that railroad track is designed for you to be curious. It's designed for you to, to, to think about, okay, this is what happened in the past. Let's plan for the future in a certain way. Right? You do that, right? Like just for things, for the holidays. You think about, oh, maybe last year was really great. I'm going to plan based on last year, you know. This is how it can go. Or last year didn't go so well, you know, the, the turkey got burnt, <laughs> you know. Let's, let's, let's be curious about why the turkey got burnt, not let that happen again, right, and plan into the future. And 
And here, one of the key things that we have to think about is, is the fact that we need to move a lot of times from just track one, reacting, reacting, reacting to, okay, I need to be curious about what's going on and reflect on that and then respond appropriately, right? But to do that takes time. It takes focused attention. It takes bringing back those memories and living as if, as if I can be curious about what happened, not just responding out of fear. And what God, one of the key things that God is saying here is that we must remember his promises. You know what I mean? He's bringing, he's bringing back, he just refers to it, right, as I'm going to fulfill what was announced to the, the servants, my servants, the prophets. And what is he designed to do there? He's, he wants you, in Revelation, to go back to Isaiah, to go back to Daniel, to go back to Jeremiah, to go back to Ezekiel and Malachi and these prophets, and say, what was spoken then? Well, I'm curious about that and how it, how it relates to the future. Why? Because he wants to move you out of track one. Oh, it's going to be bad. Things are going to be horrible. How do I stay safe? And move you into curiosity. Okay, how does what God say apply to right now? How can I live my life out now with curiosity and planning and, and hope in the future? Why? Because I remember God's promises. I don't just remember the threats. I don't just respond to those threats. I remember the promises of God. And it takes a certain amount of work. I get it. It takes no work to remember that a horn is a threat. <laughs> it takes no work to remember that I like ice cream. <laughs> it takes more work to remember the promises of God. To think, step back and say, you know what, I'm going to spend some time reflecting on God's word. Being curious about it. What does it mean? How does it apply to me? But we need to remember those things. We need to take ourselves, even though we're living in 2023 right now, and we're thinking, okay, what's going to happen here, and what's going to happen here, and this is what's going to happen with the election, and the economy, and my life, and my job, to step back from that and say, I'm curious. What does God's word say? How does it apply? What does it mean? Why? Because once you engage that curiosity, you have the chance of, of, of reflecting on who God is and, and what he's done, and you can remember who God is in the midst of your life. God's prophecies are going to come to pass. They're promises. He has this project that he's going to fulfill, that he's going to do. We don't know exactly when, and we don't know exactly, exactly how, but we do know that we can trust him. Second thing here is we should be joyful in hope as well as sad for those who have not repented. You have this dichotomy, which is always, I mean, Paul echoes it in Corinthians when he says, we're sorrowful yet always rejoicing. There is this dichotomy that happens as Christians that's the kind of constant where we're, we're joyful because we realize we have hope in the future, and yet we're sorrowful. Why? Because we have, and we're even bitter of heart. Why? Because there are people in our lives who have not repented yet, who are not listening to God's word, who, who don't have that hope and that joy, and that we're not, we're not just rejoicing in their hope, even as we have hope. And so you have this mix of, for Christians in our lives, of the sweet and the bitter. And I just want to point out that what, what, you're, what you're sorrowful and what you're, what, what you're joyful about tells a lot about who you are. If you're always sorrowful just about, oh, I, this didn't happen to me, and this is, didn't what happened the way I wanted it to go, you know what? You can tell that you're focused a lot on yourself. But if you're sorrowful 
about, man, I, I wish God could have done this or God could have done that. And when you're going to God with these things, it also tells you a lot about who you are. Just in brief here, I, I ran across this illustration of this Shiro Guni who, who created this restaurant in Japan because he realized that you, you could be sorrowful and yet joyful together. And I just I, I ran across this video, but I just want to share it with you, just to help you think about the fact that we don't often see things the way God sees them. But the, when we start to re- get curious and reflect on who God is and what he's doing, it creates a, a, a different perspective on time and what's going on in our lives. In Tokyo, Japan, there was a restaurant whose elderly waiters and waitresses all suffered from varying degrees of memory loss. It was the brainchild of Shiro Oguni, who had visited a group home for adults with dementia and thought that their isolation was kind of heartbreaking. He reckoned there really ought to be room to keep them included in society, so he created the Restaurant of Mistaken Orders, where the waiters and waitresses were all struggling with memory loss, but were nevertheless performing a job that required very good memory. And yes, 37% of the time, the orders were wrong. But 99% of the time, the guests left quite happy. Of course they did. There's a very old folk tale about a woman who would carry water home every day from a river using two buckets at either end of a bamboo pole. And one of the buckets was new and solid, and the other was much older and had developed some small leaks. And when the woman would finally get the buckets home, The new bucket would still have all of its water, but the old bucket had lost almost half. And the old bucket felt very badly about this and apologized to the woman, saying how sorry it was that it could no longer do its job very well. So the woman turned and pointed back down the road and said to the old water bucket, you see all those flowers growing on your side of the road? Every day you water those flowers. And my walk to and from the river is always filled with beauty. Which brings me to my last kind of application. We must work on remembering God's grace and be curious about what God will do now. You know, sometimes we focus so much on Revelation. We say, well, there's judgment coming. Obviously, the world's going to fall apart. You know, that we just have to prepare for that. Somewhat true. But the reality is God, God is not promised. He's not, the angel hasn't descended yet, and so there's no more delay. <laughs> there's, God is doing some things right now that you don't know. You can't expect. God is a God of doing the unexpected, of, of working in, in, in people and in, in situations in ways that you cannot predict. And yes, you need to follow him and walk with him, but you need to trust him and remember his grace. This this story is beautiful, right? Because because these are people who need grace. They can't remember all the orders. But I love what he said there. 37% of the orders got messed up a little bit somehow, right? But 99% of the people left happy, right? Why? Because when we recognize God's grace in our lives, we realize he's coming to us in the midst of our flaws, in the midst of our failures, in the midst of our mess-ups, that we don't get everything right. We don't keep our focus right all the time. We don't, we don't remember God's promises perfectly all the time. 
And yet he comes to us and he gives us grace and he gives us help and mercy in our time of need. And, and, and that story at the end with the buckets is like God uses our, uh, our, what we perceive as our failures to do good things at times. To bless other people, to help other people, to allow other people in their lives to, to help, so that they can help us as well. We must remember and we must work on remembering God's grace. To, to take time at the end of the day or to journal. I mean, as you think about practicing this in, in, in practice, this really comes down to thinking about having some kind of practice of journaling in your life. I'm not saying journal every day, but maybe a certain section of the year. You might say, you know what? Every day at, at night, I'm just going to take some time and reflect on God's grace in my life. Maybe, maybe this week would be a good time to do that. You know, it's Thanksgiving week, right? Where we reflect on what God has done throughout the year. And I know it's going to be a busy time, and I know you've got travel to do, and I know you've got kids to take care of, and I know you've got all these things that you've, you're worried about and you're concerned about, and, and those are all valid concerns. But would you take, just, just, I don't know, take an hour, block it off, and say, you know what, for this hour, we're going to work on remembering God's grace this year. We're going to think about his goodness to us. We're not going to do anything else. We're just going to take some time and maybe write some things out. I know in our family, what we do is we have a, 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 a kind of a tower in the, in, uh, in the middle of the table that's empty, and we, we give the kids note cards, and they, during this month, they're like, things they're grateful for, they fill them out and they drop them in, you know what I mean? And we pull them out occasionally, and remember God's grace. But we have to work at remembering God's grace. Why? Because the world wants us to be so focused on all of the things that are fearful and problematic. They want to focus our attention on all of those things. And we miss God's grace in the midst of our lives. We miss God's grace in the midst of our church. We miss God's grace. And I remember, I remember, uh, I remember Peter. Can you imagine Peter and memory, right? Every time a rooster crowed, like, <laughs> for the rest of his life, he, he could have remembered, oh, I failed. I failed. I failed. But Jesus came in, and at the beginning of a morning, when the roosters were crowing, he's like, you know, you know let's sit down and eat some fish. <laughs> and, and I want to tell you, I love you. I love you. I love you. Right? So that the memory is transformed from, I failed, I failed, I failed, to Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. And in our lives and the memories we have. Yes, we're always going to have to react to the, the problems of life. But let's take time to, to remember God's grace. To being curious about what God will do now. How will God work in my life? How will God work in Ames and in Iowa and the world in the next year? I mean, I'm curious. Well, like, what can God do as we reach out in love to others, as we share God's grace with others, as we point to God's truth with others, what can God do? He can do so many amazing things in our lives, in others' lives. Why? Because he's not done yet. His grace is amazing. So time is a mystery. We can't see around the corner into the future in a sense, but we do have the promises of God that we can remember that we can cling to, that we can remember that he's not done, that he has a plan that's going to be accomplished. And we can remember 
but he's not done with us. His grace is still with us. So this week, whether it's at Thanksgiving, whether it's throughout the new year, spend some time reflecting on God's grace. Remember that. And stop just reacting to all the things that trigger you so that you can focus on who God is. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful that John is willing to both be joyful and, and to also accept sorrow into his life because he recognizes the work you're doing in his life and in the world. And he calls us, in a sense, to, to have the same kind of attitude, to recognize the same kinds of things, that you're not done, but that at one point you're going to cut off and say, there's no more delay. I'm going to make everything right. And we can look forward to that day. And in the midst of the time, even as people reject your word and reject you, yet you are still here. You are still God. And your grace is still real. And we cling to that. We thank you for your goodness to us. In your son's name we pray. Amen.